Well, this morning, we're going to start a brand new message series called Unstrapped, uh, Set Free to Live Free. And uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about the elephant in the room, all right? uh, the, one, the one thing that makes people most uncomfortable in church, and that is the subject of money. Uh, I just figured we'd kick off the new year in style, just tick everybody off in the whole church. Uh, let's go ahead and get all the anger emails out of the way in January so we can move on with the year. Um, now, before, <clears throat> before some of y'all hit the, the panic button and pretend like you're going to the bathroom so you can sprint to your car and... Uh, go home. Let, let, me, let me just ease your, your mind a little bit. This, this is not a series on giving, okay? This, this is not a series on giving, and so everybody take a deep breath with me. Let's breathe in. Ah, let's excel. Ah, you feel better already, right? This, this is not a series about giving. Um, now, we, we will touch on generosity, but this is not a series. Listen, this is not a series to get you to give more money to the church, <laughs> like, I, I promise you, I didn't get a phone call from, uh, you know, Mark Carlson or, or the elders last week, and uh, they're like, hey, Chris, you know, we're, we're running a little low on funds, man. We, 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 we need to pay the light bill. Could you, like, maybe please craft, a, like, a giving sermon series or something? Like, th- that didn't happen. Uh, in fact, uh, because many of you are very generous, that uh, we're actually in a super healthy place financially uh, to the point that we're going to be looking for some some new and creative ways to invest more money um, in Asheville and around the world to help people find and follow Jesus in 2020. It's gonna be really exciting. Uh, 2020 is gonna be an exciting year for us as a faith family. I'll share more uh, about that with you in the months uh, ahead. But listen, I say, I say all of that simply to say to you this morning, you can relax. You can relax, right? Like we're not gonna pass the baskets again and I'm not gonna go, now we're gonna see who really loves Jesus. Like as the baskets go by again, like we're not going to do anything strange like that. So um, are we good? We're good? All right. We're going we're gonna to keep rolling and nobody walked out. Now, uh, on, a, on a practical level, I just wanted to carve out two or three weeks to tackle the subject of money as we start the year because it's something that we all deal with. Like it's, it's one of the top causes of stress in our culture. Actually, statistically, it's one of the top causes of conflict that leads to divorce and marriage. Money is just something that we all, we all deal with, we all grapple with, and the truth is like, no, nobody is really talking about it, uh, especially in the church, because we're all scared to talk about it. And ha- have, you, have you ever wondered why that is? Like, why, why is money such a sensitive subject in church? Man, we'll talk about relationships, we'll talk about sex, we'll talk about everything under the sun, but nobody's talking about money. Why, why, why did some of you walk in this morning and look down at your bulletin and immediately think, dang it, out of all the Sundays for me to come, like, man, I've been out of church for two years, my New Year's resolution was to come to church, and I came on Monday, Sunday. Of all the Sundays I could come, or I've been inviting my coworker to come for three years, and they finally come, and you're like whispering, hey, sorry, they never, they never do this. Um, why, why is it that we have like that kind of weird visceral uh, reaction when anybody mentions money? Well, I think there probably are multiple reasons that we get kind of uncomfortable when people start talking about money in church. I think the first reason is, is actually probably a, a fair reason. It's a good reason. Uh, most of us have seen in our lifetimes, pastors who use and abuse the, the principles, the biblical principles about money 
for selfish gain, right? We, we, we have all seen uh, those guys, haven't we? Uh, on, on TV, the guy with the, the $20,000 Armani suit and the Rolex watches, and, and he's uh, hitting up his congregation or the TV audience for, for money for his private jet, you know, so he can fly around the world or for his beach retreat, you know, that he, he needs to go on to, to refresh. Man, and we, we see guys like that, and, and, and I kind of was halfway tempted to call out some names this morning. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions is not, not to be mean this year, so I'm not going to call out any, any names um, but we, we see cats like that on TV or radio or, or whatever, and I think we, we rightly feel angry about that. Like, we, we feel disturbed when we see guys doing that. And it, and it makes us, uh, on some level, just feel kind of leery about um, talking about money in church. Um, now, j- just so, so you know, um, that's, not, that's not my deal. Like, I don't, I don't want an Armani suit. I own two suits and um, they were cheap, and I only wear them when I marry you guys or bury you guys. Like, that's the only time. I, so I'm not in, I'm not in it for the, the suits or, or the Rolex um, watches. Or, that's just not my, not my thing. Um, you, you're also, you're never going to hear me, I promise you, on, on this stage hit, hitting you guys up um, for money so that I could buy a ministry jet, you know, like fly around the world or buy a beach house or anything like in, in fact, if you ever at some point in the future hear me doing that from the stage, you have my permission at the end of every service, I stand right down here, you can come right up to me and slap me right in the face if I, <laughs> if I ever do that. That's my promise to you. You have permission right now to do that. You could either slap me in the face or you could get on my jet with me and go to my vacation home <laughs> and we'll have a really good time. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, um, as I was studying this week, and I've, I've taught on this multiple times, but... But even still, I was surprised as I kind of dug in how, how much the Bible actually talks about money. Um, now, you, you maybe have heard some of this. This might surprise some of you. But the, the Bible contains, listen to this, 500 verses on prayer, which is, which is a lot. And that makes sense because prayer is really important for Christians. So 500 verses, about 500 verses on prayer. Fewer than 500 verses on, on faith, which I think we could all agree is something that's really important uh, for those of us who love and follow Jesus. Um, but over 2,000 verses on the topic of money and possessions. Over 2,000 verses. Nearly, nearly half the parables that Jesus told had to do with money and possessions. We just finished uh, last week a series on the parables of Jesus. Almost half of every parable he told had in some way something to do with money and possessions. Around 15% of all that Jesus taught had to do with money. Now, now that's, that's more than Jesus had to say about really important, th- important things like parenting, for instance. That's, that's more than he had to say about marriage, more than he had to say about sex, theology, prayer, heaven and hell combined. Now listen, all of those things are really, really important, but Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any of those things. Why is that? That's what we're gonna work on kind of unpacking together uh, this morning and the next couple of weeks. Now, here, here's why I think money was so central to the teachings of Jesus and why he just talked about it as often as he did. Um, and I think this is actually probably another reason we get uncomfortable, and if we're being honest, probably the real reason, the main reason that we get uncomfortable when people talk about money in church, and it's this, it's this truth. Jesus talked about money so much because he knew that money is a gateway to our hearts. 
I just knew there's just like this supernatural truth that there's a connection between our treasure, our possessions, our money, and our hearts. And because money is a pathway to our hearts, money can also be a pathway to all sorts of idols that we begin to replace our love for God with. Now, I, th- I would just guess if, if, if most of us in the room this morning were really just gut level honest, we would have to admit that on some level we have a heart tied to money that, biblically speaking, probably uh, borders on the line of idolatry. And, and here's, here's, I'll tell you that to say this. This, this is why this is really important. If, if we're not really careful, money can begin to absolutely control our lives. It can begin to, to dominate our thought processes and what we think about. And money can actually begin to enslave us without us ever realizing it. In fact, I would just guess that statistically speaking, probably a large percentage of the people in this room this morning are slaves to this. And you don't even, you don't even realize it. And you are absolutely enslaved, you are strapped, you are owned, and you don't even know it. And friend, I just want you to know that, 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 is, not, that is not the freedom that Jesus came to, to give us. And so we, we have to, we must understand the purpose of, of money and God's economy, of how he views money, if we ever truly wanna be set free to live free the way that Jesus intends for us to do. Now, there's, there's a lot of confusion about money in our, in our society, in our culture. And, and I would even argue there's a lot of confusion about money in the church among Christians. You've probably even heard people say, Christians, maybe perhaps even somebody in church say something like this, money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that before? <clears throat> money is the root of all evil. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that? <laughs> I've, I've looked, you can check it. It never says that. Now the Bible does say that the love of money right, can lead to all sorts of evil, which is absolutely true. But the question before us this morning is, 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 is money itself, is it evil? Is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to pursue money? Is it, is it wrong to have nice things? Man, all, all of the confusion surrounding this subject has led, I think, many people down a dangerous paths of false doctrines, even in the church, even for Christians. On the one hand, you have people who have fallen into what I call the the prosperity gospel, right? The prosperity theology, which I've spoken out against very uh, vocally over the last few years because I think it's toxic and it's dangerous. And here's here's what the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology teaches. It teaches that, hey, listen, if, if if you just love God enough in your life and if you just have enough faith then God is, he's gonna make you filthy rich and you're, you're never gonna get sick and you're always gonna be happy. That sounds, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, where do I sign up for that? Next, next steps in the lobby, I wanna sign up for that. There's only, there's only one little problem with that theology. You know what it is? It's a big fat lie. <laughs> it, is, it is unbiblical to the core and not only is it unbiblical, it's antithetical to the gospel itself. That is the prosperity gospel, the prosperity theology. That's on the one hand. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what I call poverty theology or the poverty gospel, which teaches that, listen, if you love Jesus, then you ought to be dirt poor and you ought to live in a shack and you ought to never, ever enjoy anything in this life. Just just live for heaven and if you're a good Christian, you're gonna be miserable right now on this earth. And I find, uh, I find this a little less repulsive than the prosperity gospel um, but it still misses the mark. 
So do you, do you see why it's so important for us to clearly understand what God has to say about money and the purpose of money and the life of the believer in light of the gospel of Jesus? Man, it, it's huge. It's absolutely huge, man. If we, if we wanna live a gospel-centered life of freedom, which by the way, friend, is what God wants for you, if we're gonna ever attain that life, we, we actually have to get this right. So, why did Jesus speak so much on the topic of money? And, and here's why I think he did. And this is kind of the, the big idea of the message. We're gonna start with this. We're gonna circle back around. We'll, we'll actually end with this as well. And we're gonna put this on the screen. Write it down if, if you're a note taker. This, this is the whole, the, whole, the whole key, the whole deal. Where you put your treasure, friend, where you put your treasure reveals what you really worship. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew's Gospel with me. Chapter six, Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter six. Now, uh, chapter six is right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus is in the middle of teaching his disciples all of these amazing truths that are just blowing their minds, shattering all of their preconceptions and ideas about who God is and what his kingdom is like. And right in the middle of this epic sermon, Jesus kind of pivots to money. And so we're gonna pick up in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. And this is the Lord Jesus teaching here. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is where it gets good, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you've been a Christian for, for a while, years, maybe some of y'all, decades, here, here's the problem for you and me when we come to passages like this. We can tend to read a revolutionary truth from Jesus, like the one that we just read, and we can just read right over it. We can read it and we cannot give it a second thought because we think, man, I, I've read this 37 times, man, and I, I know this, I could quote this verse to you, and, and, and Jesus is not talking to me here, man, because I, I go to church and I give faithfully to my church and and I'm a good person, and so Jesus is not talking to me, so I'm gonna skip over this and try to find something that's actually more relevant to my life. But I'm just saying to us this morning, I think that we actually need to slow down, and we need to do a deep dive when we come to truths like this one, because I am convinced that Jesus is absolutely talking to you this morning, Christian, and he's talking to me as well. Now, I wanna give you just a, a few truths that flow from our, our main idea. So just to, to refresh your, your memory, kind of the big idea Wherever you put your treasure, right, that really reveals what you worship. So just a few truths that kind of flow from that one overarching arching truth. So truth number one is this. Your heart, your heart will always, always follow your treasure. Always, like 100% of the time. Have you, have you ever known anybody that had a, like a lot of money invested in the stock market? Like maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you have a lot of money invested in the stock market. What, what do people who have a lot of money invested in the stock market tend to check every day? They check the stock market every day. Right. I, I, know this, I know this one guy, he, he doesn't go to church here, so I'm not talking about you. Um, and he literally, this guy, checks his phone hourly, if not multiple times an hour to see what the stock market is doing. And, and, and here, here, here's what happens with this guy. When, when, the, when the stock market goes up, 
man, he's in a, he's in a good mood, man. He's, he's happy and he's jovial and he's generous with everybody. And, and then when the stock market takes a dip 15 minutes later, his whole countenance changes, man. He's like this different guy. He's in a bad mood and he's grumpy. Like his whole life is this big roller coaster that's depending on just like whatever the stock market happens to be doing in that very moment. And I used to think like that was kind of weird and there's something wrong with this guy. But that, that is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Like to all of us, that, that our, our hearts will always follow where we invest our treasure. And the more I think about this, even in, in my own life, the more it begins to kind of mess uh, with, with my mind. I remember um, back when I was uh, in, in college, so this long time ago, don't, don't judge me for this, but um, I was at uh, one of my friend's apartments and having a get together or a party or something and and uh, there were a bunch of guys over there I didn't know, his friends or something like that. And there was this one guy over there uh, who was like the biggest Kobe Bryant fan um, ever, which was really annoying and irritating. But he, he was there. And if you don't know anything about sports, Kobe Bryant is like this really good retired basketball player. And he would, but he was playing at the time. He was still active. And um, if you're like me and you're a child of the 80s and 90s, you grew up in the 80s, 90s in the era of Michael Jordan, uh, you know that all of these pretenders like Kobe and LeBron James are nothing like the greatest player to ever play the game, Michael Jordan. All right, can I have an amen? Michael Jordan, the, great, the greatest ever. But this, this little punk was running his mouth about Kobe and ah, he's, he averaged more per game or whatever than MJ. And um, coincidentally, there was a game, Kobe was playing, his game coming on, it was the Lakers, and they were playing some scrub team, like the Phoenix Suns or, or somebody like that. And I can't remember whose idea it was, but somehow we ended up betting $20 on the game, right? So he bet $20 that Kobe was gonna lead the Lakers to victory, and I've said, nah, 20 bucks, he's, he's gonna flub it up because he's not MJ. And so we had 20 bucks. Now, you gotta understand something. I Literally, I, I don't give a rip about NBA basketball. I, I could not care less. Uh, I don't even watch the playoffs. I usually don't even watch uh, the finals. Um, so I just, I don't, I don't care. And I certainly don't care about some scrub team like the Phoenix Suns, but I just wanted to shut this guy up. And so we put $20 on the game. The game tips off, and guess what happened? I turned into the biggest Phoenix Suns fan you have ever seen, right? I was ready to go paint my face in purple and orange. And I was like, yeah, you get like, I did every rebound. I didn't even know these guys' names. Like, yeah, 23, you, you get him. And I was, I was all into it. I loved the Phoenix Suns for the next two hours. Now, why did that happen? What changed in my heart? Wherever you put your treasure, wherever you put your treasure, your heart is gonna follow it. And that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter six says, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust will destroy it and thieves will break in to steal it. Jesus says, instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now notice, notice, notice that Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say don't store up treasures for yourself. He's not saying it's bad to store up treasure. He's just saying, I want you to invest in the right place. I want you to invest in, in my kingdom. I want you to invest in the right place 
where, where moth and rust and thieves will never be able to touch your treasure. Now listen, that, that, was, a, that was a radical paradigm shift uh, 2,000 years ago when he taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a radical paradigm shift for most of us in our materialistic, individual, individualistic American culture as well. And so the question that I have for you, and this is uh, just so you know, it's also a super convicting question for me. The question is this, man. If, if Let's just say you, you left here and you go home and you eat lunch and uh, you, you're sitting down on the couch and you're dozing off or you're watching an NFL playoff game or whatever it is and you get, a, you get a knock on the door and you open the door and it's Jesus, right? He's like, it's me. <laughs> I'm here. How, how you doing? And he comes in, you guys have a conversation and it's lovely, it's awesome. You just catch up and you ask him all the questions that you ever wanted to ask him and it's awesome. And he's getting ready to leave. He's like, hey man, I gotta go back to heaven and he's getting ready to go. And he, as he's walking out of the door, he kind of turns around and goes, ah, one more thing. I, um, would you mind if I looked at your bank statement for the last month? Just before I leave, just kind of curious. Now, now my, my question for, for you is, would Jesus walk away having looked at your bank statement, would he walk away saying, man, this brother loves me. This brother loves my kingdom. This, this sister loves me. Man, she is, she is storing up a ton of treasure in heaven. Or would Jesus walk away having looked at your bank statement saying, man, this brother loves himself a lot. Man, this sister, is, she is storing up a lot of treasure right here on earth where moth and rust and thieves are gonna take her treasure. What Jesus is saying here is that, listen, if, if you invest in the world, your heart will follow the things of this world. But if you invest in the kingdom of God, your heart will also begin to follow the things of his kingdom. And so here's the second truth that I think Jesus wants us to see this morning. Truth number two, if you can't take it with you, friend, don't live for it. If you can't take it with you, don't live for it. Randy Alcorn, uh, in his, his book, The Treasure Principle, which um, I would highly recommend to you. It's a small little book. I think it's 92 pages, but the, it's like this big, so it's probably like 30 actual pages. You could read it in just a couple of hours. Um, Randy Alcorn, The Treasure Principle, in this book, um, he, he tells the story of John D. Rockefeller, happened to be one of the wealthiest dudes to ever walk on the face of this planet, and after Rockefeller died, a reporter uh, came up to his accountant and asked him a question. He said, hey, how, just curious, how much did John leave? And I loved, I loved the answer that his accountant gave. How much did John leave? And he said, all of it. He left all of it. He left every single dime he ever got. Listen, friend, you're never gonna see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, are you? You can't take it with you. I was just, last week with my wife, I was down in, um, in, my, in my grandmother's old apartment. She died, uh, passed away less than a year ago, like 10, 10 11 months ago. And um, we had some friends coming in town, so we were cleaning up her apartment so our friends could stay there. And uh, we were just going through her stuff, man. And she just, man, she had all these little trinkets and candles and knickknacks and paintings and decorations and like all these things that I'm sure she really loved and valued and treasured at one time in her life. And do you know where all of those things are going now? They're either going on Craigslist or to Goodwill or in the garbage can. She took, listen, she took none of it with her. None of it. Not one single thing with her. 
And Jesus is saying, friend, careful, be careful what you live for. Invest wisely the money that God entrusts to you. Invest in the eternal, not the temporal. And Jesus illustrated this uh, later on in the same, the same gospel, Matthew's gospel, chapter 19. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over there, go over there with me. Uh, if you don't, this will be on the screens for you. This is, this is a famous story. If you've been in church, you've probably heard it uh, you know, half a dozen times or more. But it's a story of um, what's commonly known as the rich young ruler. So it's basically this young guy uh, who had a lot of money, and he was a ruler of some sort. So we don't know if he was a politician. We don't know if he was uh, like a big religious dude in a synagogue. We, we don't know who he was, but he was important, and he had money. And he had this burning question that he, couldn't, he just couldn't get off his mind. You can tell it's just... It was, it was just rolling around in his head and he had to go ask Jesus. And so this is the account of that. So Matthew um, 19, beginning in verse 16, it says, and behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now that, that is a good question, isn't it? I, I think that's probably a question that all of us should honestly be asking ourselves. Because at the end of the day, I think we all have this sense that there's gotta be something more than just this life. There's got to be something more than just the, the 50, 60, 70, 80 years that we get on this planet. There's got to be something more than this, all right? In Ecclesiastes, King Solomon says that God has put eternity into our hearts. We all, we all sense that. So it's a, it's a healthy question that this guy asked, verse 17. And he, Jesus, said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, and he said to him, which ones? He's like, Jesus, there's like 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament. Like, which ones do you want me or expect me to keep so I can get this eternal life? And Jesus said, he starts reciting the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you get to kind of see the young guy, he's probably feeling good about himself. And he looks back at Jesus and he says, all of these I have kept. All of these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now that, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because he asked Jesus a question, he got an answer and he answered the question positively. He says, how do I get eternal life? Jesus says, do all these things. He says, I've done all these things. Why didn't he just walk away? But he turns to Jesus because I think there was something gnawing in his heart and his soul and he knew, he just instinctively knew that even though he was a good guy, he was a spiritual guy, um, Man, there was something that was still missing in his heart and his life. And I would guess there are probably some of you sitting in here today who are in the same place that this young rich dude was 2,000 years ago. You're a good person. You're in church. You haven't murdered anybody. You're not sleeping around on your spouse. You're not defrauding the, uh, the government. You're, you're, you're generally, you're, you're a good person. But you know, in your heart of hearts, when you're laying in your bed at night and it's quiet, you know, if you're honest, that there's something that's just missing between you and God. And that's exactly where this guy was. And Jesus answers him in verse 21. He says, if you would be perfect, I want you to go. I want you to sell all that you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then you can come and follow me. And verse 22 is one of the most tragic verses in the entire New Testament. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So in this narrative, we have this young guy, happens to be wealthy, but he also appeared to be a really good guy. He appeared to be a spiritual guy. Like if this guy, if this guy were alive today, 
and he were in our church, he's a guy that we would probably all point to and we'd say, that's a good dude. That's a, that's a good guy right there, man. He goes to church. This guy takes care of his family. He reads his Bible almost every single day. Maybe he's a small group leader in our church. But Jesus saw something deeper inside of this young man. He saw straight into his heart. And what he saw was a guy that loved one thing above everything else that he loved in this world. He loved his money and he loved his possessions most. And Jesus kind of cuts right to the heart of the matter. And he looks at this young guy and he says, sell it all. I want you to sell it all. I want you to give it away. And then you can come and follow me and be my disciple. Now listen, Jesus went after all of his money and he went after all of his possessions, not because Jesus was, was a mean guy. Jesus went after all of his money and possessions and I want you to listen to me because Jesus was after his heart. And this young guy, this spiritual guy, this good guy, hears that and he turns around, he turns his back on Jesus and he walks away from the son of God, sorrowful because he loved his money more than he loved God. And Jesus is saying to that man all those years ago, and he's saying to me and you, you cannot be my disciple if you love other gods more than you love me. And here's the lesson from that. This is truth number two. Friend, please don't be possessed by your possessions. Don't be possessed by your possessions. Listen, money makes a good servant, it makes a great servant, it makes a terrible master terrible master. And so if you find yourself controlled or driven by the pursuit of money or the things that money can buy you, like, man, these are, these are just the thoughts that roll around in your head all the time. Like, these are the thoughts that consume your mind. If these are the things that cause you stress, if, like, one of the biggest sources of conflict in your marriage or in other relationships is over finances, listen, that, that should be a big, huge red flag to you that something has gone terribly wrong in your heart. And if that's you this morning, I think Jesus is just challenging you the same way that he lovingly challenged this rich young ruler to check your heart, to do a self-inventory on what it is that you actually love most, what it is that you actually are worshiping with your life, like what is actually stirring up the affections of your heart? What, what, are, you, what are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? What gets you out of bed? What are, you, what are you thinking about when you go to sleep at night? Is it Jesus or is it something else? What are you loving most in your life right now, friend? Interestingly, after this interaction with this rich, young ruler, Jesus, he turns back around to his uh, disciples. And um, man, it's fascinating what he says. He, he turns around to them and he says, listen, listen, guys. I want you to know something. They, listen, they had just witnessed this conversation between Jesus and this rich guy. They had just witnessed Jesus invite this guy to come and follow him and they saw him turn his back and walk away. And he looks at his disciples and he says, listen, you need to understand something. It is harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples were, were like, Jesus, say What? Like, man, that, that, that is, Jesus, that's too hard. If, if that's true, who can be saved? And then Jesus gives one, one of the, the best statements, one of the most hope-filled statements ever uttered in the history of the universe. This is what he says to them. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
And so for the person here who's enslaved to money and the pursuit of money, and for the person here who feels so strapped financially right now that it's just, it's hard for you to focus on anything else in your life. Jesus is saying to you, I, I am offering you freedom from all of that. I'm offering you freedom from, from all of that garbage. All you have to do, you got to love me more. Make me your highest treasure. Invest in my kingdom. And your reward is going to be great in heaven and your joy is going to be full in this life. One of the... Um, apostles who helped kick off the first century church, like this great spiritual movement um, like the world has never seen before or since. One of the protagonists that helped kick off that whole movement, Jesus movement in the first century was a guy named Paul. And Paul uh, wrote a letter, actually a couple letters to a young guy, a new convert who became a pastor, a guy named Timothy. And I just wanna read you a little excerpt from one of his letters, Paul's letters to this young convert to Christianity. This will be on the screens for you, First Timothy chapter six. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, listen, he's given us a a really important warning here. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away or drifted away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now this leads right into our our final truth, truth number four this morning. Friend, contentment, not riches, is the key to a life of freedom. Contentment, not riches, is the key to a life of actual freedom. Listen, if all you ever want is all you ever have, you're always gonna have everything that you want. In other words, listen, if you, if you wake up every single morning and your attitude is when you roll out of bed, like, holy cow, man, I, I just woke up in a warm house with warm blankets and now I'm walking into my kitchen and I have a pantry full of food. Like I actually have options of what I can eat. I got cereals, bagel, and I got eggs and bacon over here. And, and, and then, man, I can get in my car and drive to, to my school and, and study or I can go to my place of work. Man, like, God, why, why have you blessed me like this? Like, man, I, I, don't, I don't deserve any of this. I am a sinner. I am a rebel. Like, I should be in hell right now, and I get all of this from you. Like, I don't deserve any of this. Man, if that is your attitude every single day, an attitude of contentment instead of, man, why don't I have what he has? Man, why don't, why don't I have a house like he has? And you know, why don't I have a car like she has? Or why, why can't I get a boyfriend like she's got? Why don't I have more money? And why did he get the promotion? I work way harder than he does. I'm just, man, I'm telling you, that, that is a recipe for misery in your life. Greed is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. You will never be content by looking at what someone else has. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus and his kingdom and his grace, you will start to experience the freedom that you were meant to live in. And I'm just telling you, that is a beautiful life. When you can wake up and you're not enslaved to any of this stuff, you're just free. 
It's beautiful. And that's the life that Jesus has designed for all of his sons and daughters to walk in all of their lives. It's beautiful. Now, I wanna wanna circle back around to the words that we started with this morning from Jesus in Matthew chapter six, where he says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I wanna kind of just finish, circle back around, finish with uh, what we started with, the big idea of the message this morning. And this is the truth that Jesus was driving home. Friend, listen, wherever you put your treasure Wherever you invest your treasure, that reveals what you actually worship, not what you say you worship, right? Words are cheap, words are flimsy. All of us, probably most of us anyway in this room, if, uh, if I were to ask you out in the lobby, hey, what do you worship most? Most of you would say God. Most of you would say Jesus. But Jesus is going deeper than just our words. He's going right to our hearts and he's saying, no, 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 no. That's great that you're, that you're saying that, but I, I wanna see it in your life. Because where you're actually investing your treasure is actually proof of what you value most and what you're actually worshiping. That is your God. And this, listen, friends, this is why we cannot ignore this issue in church. Even if it makes us uncomfortable to talk about. The issue is not that God needs your money because the reality is God doesn't need anything from us. The issue is that God loves you and God is after your heart. And your heart is designed exactly like my heart is. You can only worship one thing at a time. It's either God or stuff. It's either God or money. And so as we, as we start a brand new year together, as we start 2020 together, let's make sure that we're starting this brand new year off on the right foot. Let's make sure that our, our affections, the affections of our heart are being stirred more for, more for Jesus and his kingdom than the idol of materialism, stuff, money, possessions. Because it's when we learn to treasure Jesus above all else that we actually begin to experience the freedom that all of our hearts long for. The next couple of weeks, we're gonna be looking at how our trust in God actually affects how we view money and how we manage the money that he entrusts to us. And then the next week, we're gonna be talking about some practical things. So we'll be talking about Uh, saving money, we're gonna be talking about debt, we're gonna be talking about um, generosity in light of the gospel, like stuff that we all deal with but nobody actually talks about. And then as soon as that's over, we're actually, we're gonna offer a spinoff discipleship class um, called uh, Financial Peace University. It's gonna start the first Sunday in February. It'll be right here, this hour, 11 o'clock, it's gonna be nine weeks It's gonna meet uh, upstairs. And if you've never taken Financial Peace University, let me just highly recommend that to you. I really believe this has the potential to to change your life, change how you view money um, as you kind of explore the biblical perspective of money and uh, it, it will help you find financial freedom. This will teach you ultimately how to master your money, not be mastered by your money. So uh, you can sign up for that either on our website. You can sign up at the Next Steps tables uh, on your way out. It's going to be good. I think the next few weeks are going to be good. Listen, I I believe, I I really believe with all of my heart that God, God wants to set you free in 2020. He wants to set you free individually. I believe that he wants to see us as a faith family called New Life Church be set free in 2020. He wants us to live free. And in some real sense, that starts with how we view and steward the resources that God entrusts to us. So as we, as we close, I just wanna give you kind of one, one question to, to think through and ponder uh, right now and then uh, on your way out, maybe all week. And then we'll, we'll pray and we'll be, we'll be done. So here's, here's the one question. What, what, are, what are you loving most in your life right now? 
Not what would you say. That's not what Jesus was after. That's not what I'm after. What are you actually loving, treasuring most in your life right now? Like what, what actually stirs up the affections of your heart most? Is it Jesus and his kingdom or have your affections maybe begun to drift a little bit towards lesser treasures, things like money, career, stuff, possessions, maybe even relationships? I love the way uh, famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, put it. This is, this is what he said. Spurgeon says, whatever a man depends upon, whatever rules his mind, whatever governs his affections, whatever is the chief object of his delight, that is his God. Now, as we pray in just a minute, listen, if you're, if you're hard, even if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been a Christian, if your heart has drifted, as mine has a tendency to do, I want to invite you in a minute as we pray just to carve out some time, take some time, talk to God, reprioritize the, the affections of your heart as we head into a brand new year. Just pray out to God and just say, man, God, I, I confess I've been mastered by, by many things. I confess my, my heart has drifted in so many ways, God, to, towards money and jobs and careers and homes and cars or whatever, God, but I, I don't want 2020 to be more of the same. I want 2020 to be different. I want this year to be ruled by you, Jesus. And I just confess that I can't do it on my own and I need the help of your spirit to guide me and convict me and to constantly, every day, point me back to you to remind me to invest in your kingdom, to invest in the eternal, not the uh, temporary. Now, uh, friend, if you're here and uh, you have not ever given your life to Jesus, I just want you to know that he invites you into his kingdom that he invites you into his family, that the freedom that you seek, listen, in some real sense, we are all freedom seekers. We are freedom chasers. We all, at our core, we desire this. We want this. And so if that's you and you've never begun a walk, a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know that that freedom is only found in knowing and being known by your creator. And you can do that this morning as well. As we pray, just pray out, ask God, say something like, God, please, please forgive me of my sin. I want to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sin and to give me freedom in this life and in eternity. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever God is asking you to do as we start a brand new year, I want to just carve out a minute or so, ask you to bow your heads. We're just going to pray silently. And I'm going to ask you to do business with God as we start a brand new year and just say, God, what, what do you want from me this year? What are you asking of me? whether it's money, whether it's possessions, what, what do you have in your life that is currently stirring your affections more than your affection for Jesus? And I just want you to do business with God for a minute and then I'll come back and we'll, we'll pray and finish up. You pray.
Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for guiding us by your word. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to guide us, to direct us, to comfort us, to convict us. Thank you, God, for for loving us enough to, to come after us, to chase us, to pursue us relentlessly, God, even even when we don't want to hear it, even when it stings a little bit, even when it hurts. God, thanks for loving us that much. And God, would, would, you, would you remind us in your grace, in your mercy, that we will never, ever find freedom or happiness in chasing any treasure outside of the treasure of knowing you through Jesus. And Father, would you, would you remind us that Wherever we put our treasure, our hearts will follow. That's just true about us. You, you know that. That's why you talk about it so much in your word. That's why Jesus taught about it so much when he was walking this planet. You know that wherever we put our treasure, our hearts are going to follow that thing. Our hearts are going to worship that thing or that person, God. So would you remind us of that truth again and again and again, God? Help us in 2020 to treasure you above all else, God, for our good for your glory here in Asheville and around the world. We love you, Father, and we pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.